you are listening to the Echo Church Podcast, and we are on a mission of rescue and restoration into a vibrant and fulfilled life. We're just going to chat Enneagram and what it's done for you and the process for you of understanding it. There's no wrong answer. And I don't expect you guys to be experts at all. I just love hearing real people talk about what it's done for them. You three to be a part of this conversation is, I just love how dynamic you are. I think you all bring a lot to the table. And I've had, myself has had awesome conversations with you individually about the Enneagram. And so when I was just brainstorming people to connect with, I thought this would be a fun Fit. And then Cordy's on too. Cordy's great. And he's a fellow three like me, but we need a dude in the mix. Right, Cordy? Right. You're a strong right. man. Right. You can handle it. So I would love it if you just want to say a little bit about yourself and share what number you are, and then we'll get started. I can start. I am Kat Jarzinski. I am a three wing two or a two wing three. They always almost always come out equal no matter which test I take. So I also am almost equal to a one and a four. So I'm a lot of different things, but my three usually rises up. Hey, my name is Cordy and I am a three. My Enneagram journey wasn't too difficult. I, you know, most of the discovery just came through conversations with friends and other people and trying to figure it out. And so yeah, you know, I've enjoyed bringing a little bit of clarity to my actions and motives, I think is probably the biggest thing. And I'm Heather Rittenauer Sampson, and I am an eight wing nine, which I think is interesting because of the differences between an eight wing seven and an eight wing nine. And I'm definitely an eight wing nine, but for a very long time, I mistyped as a two because I have a pattern of codependency in my personal life and in my life of my family of origin. And so in healing my codependency, I was actually able to identify my actual type, which isn't unrelated to my family of origin and how I grew up. But for me, it was a really profound moment when I actually saw or understood myself through my type eightness, because it was a part of myself that I had been suppressing for so long. So for me, the Enneagram journey has really helped me to kind of embrace a part of myself that for a long time I had been pushing away. I had enrolled in like an online coaching course that was related to life and business. And one of the tools that the coach used was the Enneagram. And so I had taken the test and I had tested as a two and I'd actually gone out to California for a retreat with this group of people that I was in this coaching program with. And this, my coach's husband was an Enneagram coach and he works for this other amazing Enneagram coach in California. And he said, so Heather, what's your type? And I said, I'm a type two. And he looked at me and he said, but what are you really? And I was like, what? And I just was kind of taken aback or thrown off. But then like a year later, I was at a yoga retreat and I met someone who knew a lot about the Enneagram. And she was like, what are you? And I was like, I'm a two. She's like, nope, nope, you're not a two. And I was like, really? She's like, you're not. Take another test. And that night I went into my room and I was in like a little tiny, like it was like monk quarters, this little tiny room with this little twin bed. And I did another test. And it had a video where the person acted out the type eight. 
And I just had tears streaming down my face because it was like for the first time I saw a part of myself that I had been carrying with me since I was a little girl that I felt like nobody understood and it was like wrong and bad. And it was like, I felt like suddenly this integrated person. And I went the next day and I saw this woman and I, she's like, did you take another test? I said, I did. She said, what are you? And I said, an eight. She was like, yep, that's what I thought, but I didn't want to say so. So it was, it's been an incredible experience for me because it's, it's like functioning from my highest place as an eight. I do, I am a two, but with way less resentment. (laughs) So (laughs) yeah. Well, and what I've read about eights too, and I see that in you is just that that heart for the underdog or rooting for injustice. You know, it's like black and white. And if someone is being wronged, someone in your, like, you know, whether it's family or friends, you will go to hell for them. And I totally see that within you. And I think that's such a strong attribute of an eight. How about you, Cordy, for your discovery of being a three? How did you know that you were a three? I don't think there was, there was much discovery, to be honest, because it was pretty straightforward. There were no moments at a, you know, retreat or, you know, no epiphany moments like that. It was just kind of going through them and figuring out, you know, kind of the fears and desires and all that stuff, looking at relationships between my wife and I and whatnot, and kind of just going through and understanding it. And and honestly, it was just, and that's something that I kind of always recommend to people is just spend time understanding all the types so that you can figure out where you actually fall Tests are awesome, but I think there's a lot to learn by just digging through it yourself versus relying on a test. I think there's there's some good there's some good things to be had by going through this. So I'm a three, and I don't know. I've been saying my wings a two. When I first discovered I was a three, I thought I was a wing four. I see a lot in both for me, just with my occupations, you know, with pastoring and being a hairstylist and an artist and like the creative things, but just that service to others too. But for me, it was the conversations. Like I have never, I love personality assessment tests. And, you know, I've done the Strength Finders a couple of times, the Myers-Briggs. I think they're all awesome. And there's so much you can learn from them. But I had never found anything until I found the Enneagram where it just, when I first took the test and started researching, it was a part of every single conversation I had. Like every person that was coming over to our house, we were like, you have to take this test just to get the ball going. So they knew our language. I felt like it was this whole language that I was learning and I wanted everyone to understand it. And Cordy was one of them that we would talk to. And I just think it's been, and I'm two years into the process and I have been blown away with how much it's helped me. And I mean, so many secrets I felt like that I, or things that I had shoved down deep. And it's been a journey of going back to my childhood, going back to my teenage years, my early adult years. And even just as a mom, being a mom for 10 years now, like how I parent. And I think that's what I just so multifaceted and it's just so beautiful. It's been a test that I took and then through conversations and everything that's helped me. For me, it was, I was between a three and an eight for six months and I struggled. I couldn't get to like which one I was. And for when, how I decided was the, like the fear, you know, like my driving force or like with shame and deceit or things that I struggle with, like the, the, you know, every number has a sin. And that was for me. And then the why behind I, why I do things like that. Why was just like blew me away where I felt I really wanted to crawl in a hole when I was reading about myself. It was like beautiful that I was like discovering it, but I wanted to crawl in a hole because everything was felt like just exposed. 
But yeah, I love that. And there's so much out there now and so many, so many people that are brilliant when it comes to the Enneagram with providing content and providing knowledge. And it's, I'm always learning. How about you, Kat? I think a lot of that conversation relates to me too. It's that I feel like the two is probably the heart of who I am. I think my three was created a lot in my family of origin, but yet still a very big part of me. And as I've sort of journeyed through it, I think I almost have this little resistance to the two part of it because so many people took advantage of who I was as a two. And I was very unboundaried for a long period of time. Like I sort of believed that compassion was endless, like this sort of Mother Teresa sort of person that needed to always say yes and always do and never say no. And that that's what people would merit in me. And I was always wanted to be the non-judgmental friend and, you know, anybody could turn to me and I loved all those pieces, but it took a really big personal toll on me because I wasn't setting boundaries with people and saying, I'm uncomfortable with this. I don't think you should be doing that. That doesn't feel good to my moral code, whatever it was. And so it took me a long time to kind of find my voice in being a really boundaried helper. And so now I feel like my two is pretty healthy, but I lost a lot of people that were close to me as I really started to rise up into who I was and have that voice and say, I don't agree with that. No, I'm not going to do that. And so it's kind of been this really interesting journey in becoming a really healthy version of who I am at the root of all of it. Do you have a particular example of when you started learning about just those driving forces within you, you know, just the way you were created and how it helped you, whether it's a re- like a relationship or a conversation or something that you felt was exposed? Um, you know, I think, hmm, <laughs> well, I did a lot of therapy for a little while. And so I was kind of, um, I'm a big Brene Brown fan. I'll, I end up bringing her up all the time, but she'll talk about how when she went to a therapist herself and they started to bring up, you know, digging into your childhood, that was me. I was completely resistant. I was exactly like her, like, no, I had great parents. I didn't like, you are not going to create who I am based on who my parents were. And just kind of kept at it, kept at it. And then I sort of, you know, gave into the whole process of it. And my dad was a one with a wing one with a wing one with a wing one. And so I think that idea of excellence in all of us was so ingrained, but I was the last of four. And so I was sort of a peacekeeper too. So my job was to help here and help there and be the light and all of those sorts of things. And so I think somewhere in the middle of therapy, I started to sort of find my, my voice again. That's the part of the Enneagram that I really embrace now is it's what you were saying is 
the hardest part is looking at the parts you don't really like to. Like when you look at the unhealthy versions of each type and you go, well, I don't like that about me. I'm just going to pretend like that's not a part of who I am. Let's just list all those really great things. But I think when you start to really work on who you are, that's where all of that has to happen and kind of recognize who you are in those unhealthy aspects and how you're going to be able to change that. And if you're willing to change those pieces of yourself. Well, I think for me, I mean, as an eight, like when you talk about like shame, like, hi, I'm a raging, angry control freak. Like that's pretty humbling. Do you know what I mean? Like it's humbling to like be able to acknowledge that that's part of who I am, like in my out of balance self. And I remember like years ago, I was having a conversation with my homeopath about like all, I feel like my whole mission in my life is to understand anger, like to understand and like manage anger. Like I just feel like that's my whole life's purpose. And so for me, one of the things that's happened as I've discovered more about my eightness is being really conscious of the ways in which I'm afraid. And especially like when I'm afraid of being vulnerable and when I'm afraid of being betrayed. So that's really how it shows up for me a lot is vulnerable, betrayed, and um, like vulnerable in the sense that if I tell somebody my feelings or my secrets, that they're going to use them against me in some way. And then also um, like betrayed that like that nobody really loves me. Nobody can, nobody's going to take care of me. Like I have to do everything myself. I can't trust anybody. And that part, I think being able to acknowledge that is my greatest fear has also given me space to embrace that terrified part of myself with love and to be like, you know, in my grown up mind, I can now say like, yes, yeah, sweet girl, like I understand, like when you were little, like there wasn't like a lot of consistency and like level authority or like people that were like consistently like had their stuff together. So at a very young age, like I, I realized I was like eight or nine. I remember sitting in the room with my family and being like, I'm the smartest person in this room. Like if I don't take charge, nobody is going to do it. And like, that was my whole life was just like, all right, well, here I go. And so to be at a point now where like, I can notice that that's my habit and I can put myself in situations where I can trust other people where I can be more of myself and not be afraid that like my bigness is too much for people. And also just acknowledge that like I have the capacity to feel big feelings, which means that I also have the capacity to be in the presence of big feelings when other people are having them without feeling shaken by at all. And so like for me, like, I mean, I just applied to grad school for counseling because what I've realized is that my capacity to hold space for big feelings because I feel big feelings gives me a special gift to hold space for other people when they're having big feelings. And so that's the whole journey of feeling ashamed of my feelings, right? To being embracing that like, wow, like God gave me this incredible gift that I am not scared when people are raging. I'm not scared when people are like on the brink of like wanting to take their life. Like in the last year, I've had three conversations with people who were at that moment. And like, I just felt this sense of steadiness and this deep sense of love and like solidness where I just could be like a warrior that like stood at that door and said, Hey, wait, like, what about this? Like, how can we slow this down? And so for me, I think embracing that, like my biggest kind of sin, which is this anger is also my greatest gift. And I also like to say that if God hadn't given me anger, like I wouldn't be humble because I'd be too righteous. 
Like, I just think like I've got this energy and I'm going to go help the world and I'm going to be this amazing person. And I'd be so wrapped up in myself that if I didn't have this really significant character defect, I would have no humility. But I get smacked in the face every day by this big, huge feeling self. And so um, I'm thankful. I can be thankful for that gift in the way that it gives me an opportunity to be closer to my partner and my children um, just in the in the messing up and making amends, you know. <laughs> I was reading too that eights when their children challenge their parents on every decision they make. Do you feel like you did that? I don't feel like I did that because I feel like bad things. Well, bad things happened to me when I did, and so th- I think that's the that was the challenge for me in my like in first identifying as a two, because what I learned when I was little is like, you get along, you stay quiet, you be helpful, don't shake the boat, just stay quiet, stay in the background, get good grades, like succeed, like be helpful, like take care of your brother and sister and just, yeah. I mean, and I mean, honestly, I can be honest, but like when I was a teenager, I started to do that. And like, it, I mean, like I, I paid a price physically and emotionally for that. And so that was a big, I mean, it's been a big healing for me to be able to notice the m- moments when I s- took, when my eight came out and then I just squashed it back down again. And I think that is one of the reasons why I'm such an advocate for justice. Well, and eight wing nines are that way, just generally speaking, but that I've been in positions where like I had no control. I had no say. And that feeling feels so debilitating. And so now if I can be with this energy that I've been given, if I can be an advocate for other people who are in those situations, like, I feel like that's the greatest service that I can give the world is like to protect and like help liberate people who are in circumstances where like they'd feel like they have no choice. They're stuck. They're trapped. They have no voice. They can't say what they need or fight for what they want. So yeah, I mean, that's, it's definitely a part of it, but yeah, I was not a belligerent, sassy, child, outspoken child at all. I was quite the opposite. (laughs) But that awareness and that journey of knowing what you, how it should have been handled or situations, and then taking that leadership quality that you have in like helping others or navigating through those things a hundred percent, that that makes a lot of sense. I think awareness is key in anything. So becoming aware of some of the habits or things that that I fall into is really good. Not necessarily to change those or to try to be different, but just to be aware of how I naturally think or how I naturally feel. Be aware of it and understand that it's okay. You know, one of the big things that I always struggle with is kind of the idea of you are what you do is one of the traps that I fall into thinking about myself, thinking about other people, and not that you're fine just the way you are no matter what you do. And so, you know, I'm aware of that. I still, I still have those feelings and that's still how I kind of operate at a core system. So it's one of the reasons that I, I work too much and, you know, my wife and I get in fights, you know, and like, there's all these things that 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 is. And I, by having awareness, it helps to lower, you know, some of the stress level, lower some of the thoughts that I have. And I think that's just key. Any, anytime you can kind of understand some of your core operating system and try to be more aware of that, it can help lower some stress in your life and and help you just be a little bit more okay with who you are. Is there a trick you've learned or a tool to help you with that? You know, like navigating through that to avoid the trap or when you get in the trap, how do you get out of it? No. No. (laughs) 
<laughs> is that the answer we're looking for? No, I think it's, I think it's just hard. I think it's really difficult and you know, that's okay. I'm, I'm fine with it. It's part of the process. I'm always trying to learn more and trying to grow, but I fall into the traps of, you know, the basic ways that I think, um, all the time and it, and it hurts me in relationships and stress level and whatnot, but I'm just going to keep trying to understand that that's who I am and keep pushing forward. There are lots, you know, little daily habits that I should be doing more often than I don't. And I'm just going to keep trying to improve on it. But I, I think it's a journey and I think it's really difficult. And, uh, you know, there's no overnight quick fixes that are going to last. So I think it's just little baby steps. Yeah, I think speaking to that, being a three, that was the turning point for me of how I knew I was a three. Because I everything you just said is me. And it was Andy and I had gotten off work from my salon, which is in our house. I'd walked upstairs. I had changed clothes like I always do right when I get off work. I was eating a late dinner and we were talking and he had listened to a podcast that day on a three. And then if you guys have heard the music, oh, what's the band that wrote a song for every Enneagram number? Is it something like Silas? No. Do you know it? No. Either of you? Any of no. you? I'll look it up. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. You should look it up, Cordy. You'll find it. So this band, they write a song for every Enneagram number, and the singer's wife is a, is a three. And he had written this song, and I, Andy had listened to it, and he's like, you have to listen to the song. And the whole premise of the song was that, you know, I love you for who you are and not what you do. And I'm emotional now. Like, I remember coming upstairs, listening to it. We had it on repeat, and I was weeping on our couch. And I felt like he was just reading my mail, this man who wrote a song for his wife. And... My biggest fear, and this sounds ridiculous, but I've always, like, I want to bring something to the table, like my pride. Like, I want to financially help provide it with for our family. I want to be competent. I want people to know that I'm a leader and, like, I'm a, like I'm an achiever. I'm achieving these things. Like, my entire life has been like that, and it's never enough. I set goals. I meet them, and I'm on to the next. I barely celebrate a day. Like, but through the Enneagram... I'm like, we have to celebrate. I have to pause. I see that in you too, Cordy. And we, actually behind the scenes at Echo, you guys are on our Echo team. You know we do Sunday wins. We started Sunday wins because I need to read them and I need to celebrate them and I need to pause Mondays for critiquing because I instantly go, my personality is like, how can we do better? And that's a great strength, but it can get in my head, right? But that whole wanting to work, 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 you know, and I had said to Andy in that conversation that night, like a fear of mine is that something happened to me physically where I can't work anymore. So like I have this crazy health issue or something happens and now I'm like laid up for a long time. And when we were discussing, I'm like, my fear is that you will walk out on me because I'm not bringing anything to the table because it's like my works. And it sounds so ridiculous. But that's like how, like, I have to kick that to the curb all the time. And it's a vulnerability aspect, too, of letting people love you. And I fall in the trap all the time. My thing that I have loved with Enneagram is the conversations that have come out of it, of understanding it. And it, there's two directions we can go in all of our relationships, whether it's in our marriage, whether it's with friendship, family, any of it, is we can slam each other. We can say, Heather, you're being such an eight right now. Cat, you're acting like a two, like, you know, it's like even like Cat's strength of serving and loving people, I can say it in a negative manner. You know, it's like Martha, Martha, Martha with the Bible, like I'm totally Martha as well. 
But with that, what I've learned is like Andy has learned to love me better and I've learned to like receive his love and vice versa. I've learned to love him better. He, he knows Christy needs words of affirmation and it's not you're a good hairstylist. You're you're great at what you do because it's really easy to give compliments on what we do, but it's getting to the core of like my heart and um, being in the heart triad and feelings and all of that. All of that is exactly who I am. Like early in my marriage, one of my goals was to prove that I could live without him. Like I put all the furniture together. I do all the things. I know how to change a tire. I can drop the boat in the water. Like I don't need no man, you know, inadvertently sort of. And it actually was very detrimental to the marriage to be like that. And I don't know if that's seated in some fear. It probably actually is. But like that was like I wanted to know that I was a self-sufficient breadwinner, homemaker, car taker, care of her, you know, like that was that was a goal. And that took me a long time and some big conversations to kind of soften back off of that and see the detriment that that puts on a relationship when someone doesn't feel like they're needed. Because my husband at one point said, you're right. I could disappear and you wouldn't need me. And when he said it, it was like this light bulb moment. Cause I heard what that meant pain wise, like nothing about what I do, you seem to need. And so that was a really big sort of light bulb moment about, mm, this is not the good quality that I think it is. This is not proving what I think I want it to prove. So I would say the last five years have been a big journey in our marriage in kind of really understanding who each other is and allowing them to be that person. And I think that's what it is. We revisit conflict, right? We have the same fights, at least for us, Annie and I. And this has given us that, like, the fight still comes, but we can respond in a different way. Do you have any examples of your Enneagram learning in action? Maybe a raw moment when you saw yourself falling into the, the normal trap. I think one of the, the best ways to figure out your number is in your relationships around you. And like Chris, you mentioned, you know, getting into arguments and whatnot. Yeah, I think Catherine and I have definitely relate, you know, a lot of our arguments, which are like you mentioned, they're the same over and over again. Uh, and it comes back to who we are and kind of our, you know, we can relate it to our Enneagram numbers. For instance, one of the fights that we get into pr a minimum of three times a week, maybe five is what time I'll be home. You know, I'll always be home in about 10 minutes is what I'll say. It's 45 minutes later. My wife is a one. And so this is a, this is a, a big issue. And it turns out I haven't changed, even though I've been told a number of times that this is an issue. I'm really trying. Honestly, when she asks, I know this is going to be a problem and I'm trying, but I just can't figure it out. So if anybody has any suggestions on how I do learn this finally and get there and we can, we can stop this, that'd be great because um, I haven't changed yet. But no, I, you know, I think there are all these things that we can, that I've 
that Catherine and I have noticed that are on repetition and in, in arguments, post argument, I'll often break open the Enneagram book and uh, we'll start another discussion about what just happened, which often ends in more discussions about that. So I don't know. That's kind of our, the take on it is just, it's always, it's always happening and it's always evolving, kind of figuring out how to manage our relationships and maybe not in such a hands-on way, but other relationships, just like, what are, you know, what are the types and kind of trying to understand. I think that's one of the biggest things is having empathy for people. When you can have empathy that people are trying to do things to meet their own needs, not to hurt you. That allows you a lot of freedom in your relationships as well, because it becomes not about you, but about them more so. So I think that's a, a big thing is always trying to have empathy that people aren't out there trying to hurt you. So why do you think you underestimate your time? Um, it it kind of gets back to getting things done. Like you always think you can, I, you know, I, this might not have anything to do with being a three, but like, I always think I can do more in a day than I can. Like, I've got, you know, we've got notebooks and lists of the day and you cross them out every day. And last night I was, I was an hour past when I communicated I was going to be home in five minutes because I got to get it done. So, you know, it's like, I don't know, one, one of those things, it's just, it hasn't changed. I, I don't know. I'm, it's just the way I'm, I'm wired, I guess. <laughs> so maybe unrealistic expectations to how long things will take you. hundred percent. Yeah. It's never me. <laughs> Never. You're always on time, Christy. So I, I don't know. You can ask Andy. He'll say, I add time to everything. If I say I'm on my way, he's like, yeah, I'll see you in an hour. I was just going to give my friend Cordy some advice. So I am married to a three and I've been married to a three for 17 years. And the conversation about what time you're going to be home from work has been the conversation of our marriage. And it has often been the source of our fighting in addition to a conversation, which maybe you've heard before, which is why is your work more important than me? You love your work more than you love me, right? And so as an eight, what I can say, and I don't, I can't speak for a one, but what I say is when I have get into the conversation with my husband where he's starting to in the threeness of not telling the truth because he doesn't want to look bad to me and he starts spinning the wheels, I say, just tell me, just tell me what time you're going to be home. Like what actual time? Don't tell me 20 minutes. If it's not like if it's an hour and a half, just tell me what time it actually is. So I think like actually like it's a self care practice to actually just get honest with yourself and be like, okay, like this, these are essential things I need to get done before I go home so that when I arrive at home with my beautiful wife and children, like I can be present. Right. And then you say, honestly, like I will be home in 45 minutes and you set the timer on your phone. You do 20 minutes worth of work. You time out how much it takes to get home when you get home. And every time you build that trust, it will help to reduce the tension because it will start to rebuild her faith that you do, that it matters, right? And then the other thing is um, being able to identify when you think what you're doing is super important, but it's actually something that could be done later or probably isn't as important as your marriage. <laughs> you know, I mean, and I think that sometimes what I know from my husband is that he's so successful in his work. He's well-liked. He is a great leader. He is well-respected. He does not make very many mistakes. He is like kind of revered, you know, that he goes from that world where he's on top of the world 
to a home life where he's not on top of the world anymore. He's making mistakes. He's disappointing. He doesn't know how to fix the things. He doesn't know how to make things right. Like if he tells the truth, he's going to be in more trouble. Do you know what I mean? And so I think that integrating that is probably the best place for healing because the fear of not being able to be successful that kind of drives threes, when you can be in the humbleness of that in your relationships, that's where you find the greatest satisfaction beyond what you can succeed in in your work. And I mean, that's what I can say in our relationship has shifted and on my side as an eight, okay, threes and eights. Well, that's just an explosion. You want to fight. Great. Like I'm going to know every detail. I'm not going to back down. I'm going to be like, I'm just going to be persistent. I've got all the facts. I've got justice on my side, you know? And so for me, like finding my innocence as an eight, being in my innocence and in my vulnerability of like, this hurts. Like, I feel sad. Like, I just love you. I just want to be with you. It has made a huge difference. We love that you're listening to this podcast. We are thrilled you are joining us for our Sunday online services. We'd also love for you to jump on to our virtual lobbies via Zoom calls for a little discussion behind the scenes and applications for each week's message. This week, we can start off with this fresh perspective and that we can continue just living for you and just give us joy, God, and give us hope and give us your peace. In Jesus' name, amen. We'd love to have you join us after our online services for our virtual lobbies, a place where we can connect, discuss, and share what the Lord is speaking to us as individuals, but also as a community. So he sent me this video a few days ago, a music video um, by one of our friends, Matthew Ryan, and it's all clips from the Narnia movies. Oh my gosh, I'm going to cry. And it's Lucy. And he was like, this made me think of you. And it was like, Lucy is this innocent, like faithful, brave little girl. And like, that's who I actually am. And like, now he can see that in me because he's slowed down enough to be humble enough to mess up enough in our relationship to be able to see me for who I actually am, as opposed to the part of me that's holding the sword every night when he gets home because I'm pissed. So I don't know if that's useful at all, but I think it is just, um, it's for threes, what I know from being in a relationship with many threes. And, you know, Christy's one of my really good friends is that like, I feel like we relate differently now knowing each other's types. And for me, it's always loving threes and like being like, you're such an amazing person and it's who you are and it has nothing to do with your work. I mean, like, Cordy, honestly, like, the way you harness energy on a stage and the way that you open your heart through your voice is, like, so powerful. Like, I'm sure you're really good at all your work, but I, like, I see your heart and I see your, like, your joy and, like, your ultimate, like, union with the divine. So. Oh, that's great. Thank you for that. That's awesome advice. Yeah, no, absolutely. I got to run. Thank you all. This is, uh, this has been fun. Stay on time, Cord. See you later. Oh man, I am the queen of underestimating though. That's, it is. It's like Andy just wants to know so he can plan. That's so good. Kat, have you ever underestimated or overestimated time? Well, again, I was raised by somebody that was, you know, what's the saying? If you're on time, you're late. If you're early, you're on time. If you're late, don't come. I don't know, whatever. I've already blocked it from my memory.
And so, you know, like you better be on time or like it wasn't going to be good. And so I think I still sort of have that ingrained in me, but like for a long time, I was sort of resistant to it. Like I like to show up somewhere two minutes before or two minutes late, just so I'm not on time. You know, like I'm not going to be your 15 minute early girl, but I also really, really dislike people who are late. I just feel like it's such a disrespect of people's time. Like I I get that life happens and traffic and whatever. Like uh, basically my grace period is about 15 minutes. If we hit 15 minutes, you've wasted my time and I'm done. So, and you know, as far as like when Cordy was talking about just finishing, just finishing for a long time, uh, for a while, I had a photography business and, you know, it takes a lot of time to edit photos and the artistic part of it. Like I would get so wrapped up in like seeing the minute parts of light and this and editing and bringing things in. And, you know, I'd shoot 350 photographs in, uh, in a session and, you know, weed it down to 70, weed it down to 40, and then, you know, edit those 40. And I would spend so much time just getting like high on the art of it that like I'd lose total track of time. And it was another thing that sort of became an issue for us because I like had these blinders on and I still do that in a creative mode. My brain clicks into creativity and I have a really hard time walking away from it. But then that thing that annoys me about other people, I can become that person because I'm like, yeah, just a minute, just, just a minute. I'll be right there. Just, I'll be up in like half an hour. I'll finish this. So for me, when I'm really clucking on creativity, I have a really hard time shutting that down because I know it's going to waft away. And so I really struggle with that, which that's the irony then, right? Like, I don't like people that waste my time. But then I'm also like, give me some grace. So I think that's like another interesting part of Enneagram too, right? Like, Oh yeah, like I'm kind of both of those people, but I do think that that's one of the things I've learned too, is that learning that grace part of it. So often we can look at people and we can look at each other through our differences or annoyances or like, I think for me, what Enneagram has helped me do is understanding my friends and family so much better. And looking at things where maybe before me being a three, I would judge people. So like my friends that have more balance or don't say yes to everything, or just kind of like, I have the friends that just are, feel like that fully present, like, what are we gonna do today? And they're like, fun. I actually am envious and jealous that they have these free days or have this like time and but I would look at it as, oh, how do you not have things on your plate? Like, like success is all the things on your plate. And with the Enneagram, it's been like, oh, I actually like really love that they can prioritize or that they have schedules or routines or, you know, that whatever the case may be. But I think the Enneagram has helped me so much draw out those challenges, those frustrations and turn them on the flip side 
of like lessons for Christy Cass, you know, at the age that I am of, wow, I did not realize how corrupt my thoughts were or my viewpoints or my process of how I looked at things. Have you guys had a situation or example in regards to learning the Enneagram and how it's helped you through challenges, through relationships? Yeah, I mean, I think one one thing that's so cool about the Enneagram, when we look at like our judgments and our jealousies, like our judgments are usually the abandoned parts of ourself, right? So we judge others on the very things that we're most afraid of like being seen for, right? And then in our jealousies, those are actually indicators that usually of our desires, right? So like if I feel jealous of, for example, somebody who has a really successful business or something where they feel, where they look like they have control, like they are someone who could be independent from their partner and not be financially dependent, right? Like I could feel jealous about that. And that's like, oh, that's interesting. That's showing me something that I want to fulfill in my life, right? Or, oh, I'm so jealous that like this person doesn't care about how messy their house is and they're having so much fun with their kids, right? Well, that's showing me something that if I, if I'm jealous of it, it's because I'm a, I desire to be more that way. And if I'm judging, if I'm judging the person with the messy house, it's because I don't want people to judge me. Right. And so I think that, um, learning the types and especially like knowing the people, like for me, like we've done it with our kids. We did an Enneagram test, but we didn't, the test was you were supposed to decide your kid's type, but we did it out loud, like on a road trip and we had our kids answer the questions. So now I know all my kids' types and I know my partner's type. And we've talked about what we think our parents' types might be, but it gives you this whole way of seeing. So like my daughter is a seven, like that's tough with an eight because like she just goes into this like retreated place of like escape and I cannot get her to do accountability, right? But when I can draw pictures and get back into her creative world, then we have some place to click. My oldest is a, he's a teenager and he's a four. He's like so dramatic. Everything is so dramatic, right? But if I can stay connected to encouragement and love with him, then I don't increase the drama with criticism. And with my one, my middle guy, who's a one, like he's rules, make sure everybody's on task, know everything. I have to say to him constantly, like, um, I love you even when you make mistakes. Like every human being makes mistakes. Like it's okay to be imperfect. Like being imperfect is beautiful. And I think knowing the Enneagram gives us this way of like cutting everyone some slack. Like Cordy said about empathy is like just a way to, you know, embrace and, and be endeared by someone in their type whether it's the side of their type that is evolved or the side of their type that's still shadowed. I think Enneagram is broad stroke initially. It's like, I just wanted to consume like understanding the numbers. Cause that was me. I was like, I want to understand all of them. Like I was learning from all these conversations and, and then it's been such a fine, like ink sketching for me of understanding the layers and the layers and taking my taking the time to understand those things and obviously when we're in seasons like we are right now where things are not normal or unusual has or routines are being thrown off and all that I think it's so eye-opening as well of how we respond how we're reacting how we're living out every single day so I love I love that analogy thank you Heather how about you Kat do you have anything in regards to 
the Enneagram as a tool has helped you understand people better or challenges that you've had or compassion? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think we, once you have knowledge of it a little bit, I mean, I think you sort of inadvertently type people, which I I can see that that's bad. But I also think sometimes my brain goes, she's a one. And it sort of helps me like, okay, wait, this is how this person maybe processes information. And it can help me meet them where they're at a little bit. I think for me, I struggle the most maybe with fours and how tenderhearted they are. I just think like fours, I sort of am figuring out how to embrace who they are and not hurt them a little bit more with my need to achieve. And I have some relationships with some fours, but I think in my lifetime, I was maybe like those people were a little drawn to me too, because I think they needed me to bring them along but then I'd get frustrated with who they are. But that was back when I didn't understand, you know? And so I think that relationship is sort of, is sort of interesting. And, you know, typing without typing is sort of an interesting process. I think it helps me understand people better relationally to how I can meet who they are. But of course, like anything, you don't want to stick anybody in a box. Nobody wants to be labeled as one thing. We're all, we're all, all of the numbers in some capacity, but yeah. And you know, my, my husband won't take the test or no, I shouldn't say that. My husband hasn't taken the test, you know, but I look at him and go, you're a six, you are a six, such a six. So it sort of helps me relate to him in a different way too, just kind of going, this is how you operate. I get it. Yeah, that's good. I think too, it's that inner, the understanding other people, it's not slamming them with their type, but it's that dialogue I have in my heart, my mind, when I'm around people to love them better, to draw out strengths in them to like Heather used as an example earlier of how she can, you know, just the compliments, the way we give a compliment to every number is different right? And to even just challenge each other in a great way, it all helps. It's that awareness factor for me, understanding. And I think too, on another level of not being threatened by other people, not getting caught up in like, why are they like this? And I'm like this, we're now like, I have this, it's constantly in my head. And I mean, as far as a team goes, like even at Echo, we use the language every single day with our core team that we're connecting with and we're planning and preparing and just that deeper understanding of how to treat each other and like knowing like scheduling. And there's just so much grace that is given when you understand it. And I think it's so fascinating. And I look forward, you know, both of you having, you know, adult kids and teenagers and like your little head of us, you know, with our oldest being 10, and we have not had him take a test yet, but we're definitely seeing the numbers come out of them. But it's helping me parent and navigate that kind of stuff of how to love and communicate to them too. As far as faith goes, because I have always enjoy talking about faith with, with both of you individually and just like the depth that you guys bring to conversations. How has the Enneagram helped you in your faith journey? 
I can answer that. So um, I've been really committed to the Al-Anon process for the last two years. And like, I think it's like the step two <laughs> is like acknowledging that there's a higher power. And I remember working that step with my sponsor and being like, she was just holding the space for me. And she's like, why is this hard for you? And I said, because the God that I was told existed, let me down. I prayed and I was good and it didn't work. So why should I believe in something that doesn't actually help me when I need it? You know, and she was like, really good at being like, well, you know, that's fair. And like, what if the version of God you were given, what, how could you see God? Like what, how could you define God for yourself? And I said, well, like if there were two atoms and they come together in a positive way, like anytime that something positive comes together, I would say like, that's God, like any, and you could maybe call it love. Right. And so then step three is like surrendering to a higher power. And I was like, no, like, I don't want to because Cause like I'll be let down, but then the way I worked, it was just like, but could I surrender to love? Yes, I can surrender to love. I can surrender to positive energy. Well, in the course of my codependency recovery, I started to run the experiment more and more often of surrendering my agenda, of surrendering my pain, of surrendering my need to be in control to something higher that I couldn't, I, could, I didn't have to define it. I didn't have to know what it was. And I was willing to let it be defined for me as I went along on my journey and so like where I'm at today in my, in my spiritual life compared to like two and a half, three, five, seven years ago is significantly different in that I have a very active relationship with a higher power and it's a prevalent part of my life. And so for me, like it's been a huge part of my spirituality to evolve, especially from the two to the eight and to in my eightness be able to say like, I am powerful and I am strong. And I can be like a force for change and I don't have to do it alone. And if I'm willing to ask God for help, then I'm willing to ask other people for help too. And then I get to be connected and then I get to feel like I matter. And so it's a win-win. <laughs> well, even seeing you in conversations that we've had, what I love is I feel like in, on your journey as being an eight and identifying as it and communicating about it, when you learn who you are or who God's created you to be, you start asking questions. I feel like you've been on this journey of, okay, God, you've given me these qualities. You've given me these strengths. What do you want me to do with it? Right. You're entering school again. Right. When you had successful businesses, you have no reason that, where you have to go back to school, but it's like, this is what I'm called to do. Or this is like something that's like in the depths of my soul and I want to help others, which is your two coming out in your health. Right. But it's like that intensity that you bring for loving people and like giving it your all and how you retain information and how, you know, just like you're resourceful and you want to help others. Like that is like, I just think as a friend, I've watched you ask God those big questions. And that's what I love about the Enneagram, that understanding a pivot, a big pivot in your life. And Kat, even just being an empty nester and asking God, it's like you've had these big pivots in the past couple of years. And I just, it's so beautiful to observe and to witness and to watch. And I've known Kat here a year, you know, I met you in the pre-launch season, but I watched you post pivot in that next chapter but it's like god's never done with us like it's just like all the seasons and i think that that's where it can be easy to fall into a trap of like 
well, I'm this age now where I've already done these things. Like my, like I can, I can celebrate my accolades and all that, but there's so much more. I just think, you know, if you loop it back to life changing moments, which then you can connect to Enneagram for me, I kind of, my background is, you know, I guess Andy uses, or I've heard him say church hurt. You know, I, I, I sort of feel that when he says that, you know, coming from a background that was kind of rooted in, you know, religion is sort of about shame and sin and all the dark parts of it. So like mine was a reawakening. And I remember very, very distinctly sitting in a church and hearing, oh, not going to cry, really hearing for the first time through song that I was a child of God. And like, that nothing else mattered. Like it was one of those moments, you know, in a movie where it like zooms in and you feel like you're the single spotlight in the room. That was the kind of moment that I had, like where something turned on in my brain that said, no matter what, you are this child of God. And I think I had never maybe heard that before, sort of in my you know, my family of origin in some ways. And then also my religion, like uh, that message just didn't sort of really come across. And I think that's part of when I say my three was created a little bit, like my worth was rooted in a lot of my achievements. And so that's where now I kind of feel like I can be that healthy three in that if it all goes away, that is the relationship that is the most important. And so I think it actually makes me a better achiever because I'm not necessarily looking for everybody else's approval. I mean, it's funny as I'm sitting here, if you look at my office, I have a board that's, and there's a sticker with Jesus right in the center of the whole board. And that is where I'm rooted from, that I am a child of God and he's at the center of all of it. I can remember, or frequently, I will, I feel like I go, what are you asking from me? Who do you want me to be? What gifts do you want me to, to bring forward? I know what they are, but I'm just hesitant still, you know? And I think we're always searching that. But I think when I settled into... This is a forgiving God and not a punishing God. And that no matter what, I am a daughter of the King. I mean, I think that just, that helps me through everything when I feel less than or any of, I, I just don't feel like I do that as much anymore because I feel like it's part of the staff and rod that I carry now is like, I don't matter. What matters is how I do this, you know, and then what I can give this direction. Kind of like I have to re-give God what he's given me every single day. And it's recognizing it. And, and it's him, you know, and it's that he just wants us, right? He wants our time. And that's the one thing that I like hold and like don't give him sometimes but I'm serving and I'm doing and I'm being and I'm doing all these things but it's that he just wants us and that's what the yoga mat's been for me that's what painting or journey you know like all those things where it's just being like that's brilliant 
Thank you for joining us on this week's episode. If you have any questions or prayer requests, we'd love to hear from you. Please email us at hey at wearetheecho.church. Also, we want to invite you to join us on Sundays. We are streaming our services on Facebook and YouTube at 9 a.m. U.S. Central Time, as well as 8 p.m. U.S. Central Time. This episode was produced and mixed by Just Hit Publish Productions. 